just kind of looking at the kid and saying, you're not going to get drafted, like crushed him. And I remember leaving that meeting thinking, this is not who I want to be. Like, I don't want to be the person that crushes people's dreams. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's, and thank you for being here again. I know last week's episode was quick for my birthday, but hopefully it hit home in terms of making you realize just how lucky we all are to be here. This week's guest, Jake Thompson, feels lucky to be able to do what he does, which is coach, speak, design apparel, host a podcast, and run a company. His podcast is Compete Every Day, and it's great. I was on it a while back and really enjoyed Jake's sincerity and what he's doing with his company. He works with youth athletics. He writes a blog. I'm just very impressed with his whole operation. And sitting down with him, I was amazed to find something out about him that I never would have guessed. But again, like all of his work, it's something I didn't see because he has worked so hard to overcome it and succeeded. He loves sports, loves to compete, but what you'll hear as we speak is that he has extreme compassion and generosity at the core of his being. Here he is, Jake Thompson. I would say the best way to describe what I do today is professional speaker and coach. Uh, really with an emphasis on a lot of the things you talk about on the show, resilience, focus, mental toughness, uh, all kind of grew out of this crazy journey of selling t-shirts with the brand Compete Every Day. And so it, it's taken, as I laughed about the website, it's taken about eight years to really hone in on exactly where I want to go, what I want to do. But uh, the direction I'm putting myself on and taking steps toward is is to be speaking, writing, and working with people and organizations on building and cultivating those things. Yeah. And when uh, Jake is talking about the website for everybody listening, before we started rolling, um, I had said how great his website is. It's very user-friendly, interactive, very specific. And he said, yeah, it only takes eight years. <laughs> you know, it only took eight <laughs> years to get there. Um, and that was a question I had, which is, you know, it, it you started selling T-shirts out of out of the trunk of your car. Um, and now if anybody goes to your website, they'll, which we'll have in the show notes, they could see it's, it's very much expanded from there. Um, how has that process been? Did you know when you were selling t-shirts out of your car, did you have this vision of where it would be? Or did you originally get it, think you were just getting into the apparel business and it became this? Yeah, you know, funny enough, the message came first. So the idea of competing every day in life against your own best for your goals, for your dreams, that really came first. And it took me about six to seven months of tinkering, trying to fit that message into different projects I was working on in my consulting business before my best friend ultimately recommended I look at apparel. There's a group out of Boston called Life is Good. 
These guys started selling it in a van. They're now international brand. Uh, they do hundreds of millions a year around the simple concept that life is good. And so uh, my friend had heard their story, suggested I do the same. We had saved up for a guy's trip to New Zealand. Uh, due to some work changes on both of our ends, my buddy ended up spending his money on an engagement ring for his now wife, which I can't fault him for. Uh, and so instead of doing the trip solo, I put mine into two boxes of shirts and tanks and was kind of like, let's figure this out. It seemed like an easy avenue, but you know, for the first three-ish years, I was really focused on trying to go the route of, of a Nike or an Under Armour, building the brand, solely doing apparel, um, kind of branching out that direction. And, and the farther I got down the road due to some bad mistakes on my end, due to life changing for me and figuring out what do I really want with my life? Like, what do I want my life to look like long term? We slowly started to change it. And I started tinkering and testing really years, years four through six, which probably didn't help us as a brand when you're kind of trying to feel things out and, and determine where you need to go. Uh, but really about year five, year six, I started looking at the market and said, what do I want to be doing? And talking to my team at the time and saying, what do we do best? And the best was always our brand and how you communicate that message. And so you have to communicate that message more. We need to focus on being a brand instead of just apparel. And so I started investing in working with coaches on the speaking side of how can I improve my craft? How can I improve how I deliver this message? Um, initially with the idea that I was going to speak and then we were still going to have the apparel separate. They were going to be separate entities. And then about two years ago, started realizing how dumb that sounded uh, because I had this giant audience. <laughs> I would served these people for you know six, seven years. It all needed to be tied together. I was ultimately speaking about this message of competing every day against adversity and, and in life. So was the brand. And so ultimately, really, the last year, year and a half have started moving things where it's one, under one umbrella um, with really the core message of everything that we offer and do is about helping people, ambitious people, stay motivated to reach their goals and their full potential. And so that looks like the speaking, it looks like the book that I'm working on and, and the apparel really reinforces a lot of the messages that I say on stage. So it's almost become where the apparel was the main piece to now it's kind of like having your band merchandise where it's it's something it's cool to have. It reinforces the music you love, the experience you have with that band, but it's not the sole driver of what we do and what we're trying to do. And there's not a lot of people out there that have really done this model you know, one of your former guests, John Gordon, is fantastic at this with the power of positive and everything he's built. And he's been someone that's been fun to watch from afar because it's been a little bit of the direction I've tried to go. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things you take it one direction and figure out that doesn't work. Let's go the other direction. And mm, this may work, but that isn't what I really want for my life. And you just kind of bob and and weave back and forth until you start to hit that groove. And, and really, I feel like the last year and a half, which is, you know, eight years in, we've started to catch our groove and our stride where things are starting to accelerate much quicker than they had the last few. Yeah, that's great for people to hear. Eight years in, you know, most people have given up by then. And to, to feel that you're hitting your stride at that point, that that is in many cases what, what it is. I mean, obviously you are doing something right, but for it to be the vision that you originally had. Yeah, it takes it takes some time. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, 
you know, you're talking about bobbing and weaving and taking things as they come and, and shifting courses. What about early on? Like, what about prior to getting into this business growing up? I know you were an athlete growing up. Um, I believe you played football in Texas. Correct me if I'm yep. wrong. The um, home of Friday Night Lights, right? <laughs> yeah. Dylan, Dylan Panthers. <laughs> Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Um, so you walk us through that. And did you have aspirations of playing in the NFL one day or was it just something that you did on the side? What was how did this kind of how did you segue from from growing up an athlete uh, did you did you know you would be an entrepreneur at, at that point, or were you in a, a job where you're working for someone else, and then this came about? Let's walk us through from from earlier years. Yeah, and it's it's funny we're having this conversation because a lot of the things that I've been able to connect back over the years um, from childhood haven't really started to reveal themselves or me be more aware of them until recently. And so I grew up in East Texas, a small town of about 13,000 people. So when you imagine stereotypical Texas town shuts down Friday night, goes to the stadium, uh, that was it. Um, I wanted, you know, when you're young, you're a little kid, you want to play pro ball. Um, but I knew pretty early on I was never going to be big enough, um, especially you know, you're growing up in the 80s and 90s. NFL is very stereotypical in sizes. And I was not the tall kid. I think I was 5'11", a buck 40, uh, my senior year, like soaking wet. Um, yeah. But I was uber competitive. And, and my coaches knew that. And they knew the to get the best out of me was to challenge me. Um, and so I took that competitive drive that I was going to outwork and outsmart everyone. And that was just how I was going to play. That ultimately is kind of what became the compete message uh, because of I developed over the years a pretty unhealthy relationship with that competitive drive in terms of trying to constantly compete against everyone else, comparing myself to everyone else, instead of just asking, how can I do better? How can I be better in, in how I show up and how I work? Uh, but, you know, I knew at some point in life I wanted to do the entrepreneurial thing. My, my dad's an entrepreneur. He has a chain of convenience stores in East Texas. Uh, both my grandparents were. My mom's dad was a cotton farmer in West Texas. Uh, my dad's dad was a contractor, had a contracting business in Dallas area. So a little bit of that was in my blood as well as I got to see, yes, the long hours that entrepreneurship holds, but as well as the freedoms. Like my dad rarely, if ever, missed any of my games growing up or my practices. He was involved in the team. And, and so those were things that I saw that I knew I wanted one day. And so when I went to college, I had the full mindset to be the next Jerry Maguire. I was going to be a sports agent for 10 to 15 years. Uh, then I was just going to retire and, and start my own business and do something. Didn't know what that was going to be. And so that was kind of the goal. Went into to college, uh, worked, interned for an, an agent. Uh, my last two years of college, went into grad school immediately to get my master's so I could go get my certification from the NFL. And, and through those kind of four-year experience, I started to see the how the sausage is made. And for explain most that, of us, explain that to us. Yeah. So uh, everyone loves to go to the ballpark to have a hot dog. You love to order the hot, the big juicy hot dog, but you rarely ever want to see how the hot dog is made uh, yeah. because sometimes it'll turn your stomach. It'll turn you off to ever eating it. And so it's the idea that you think something is beautiful and pretty from the outside. And then once you get into the guts of it and you start to see how the industry really works and how people interact and 
you don't necessarily know if you want that. And I'm sure it's something you've had as well in your experience of like, it looks all glamorous from the outside. And then once you get into it, it's, it's not as pretty as it looks. And so that became the agent space for me. Um, you know, there's some incredible agents out there. There's some people that I've been fortunate to build relationships with. Um, unfortunately, the person that I was interning under wasn't that. And so I got a very sour taste for the industry. Um, I, I was honestly kind of left on my own. Like I was never really mentored or trained. It was like, hey, research and go call these guys. And as a early 20s, I just emotionally wasn't ready for the roller coaster of it. Um, you know, we talk, you talk about rejection and, and overcoming no's on this show. The agent business, for the most part, especially then, we'll say in the 2006 to nine frame, um, you know, you're you're recruiting eight to ten guys every year. Um, so you may start in March or April. Over the course of the next six to eight months, you know, three may break up with you. You're going to break up with three or four. You hope to sit down with the final remaining few and sign one. And so that's a lot of of almost bad dating uh, is the best way to put it, because you get to know these guys, you get to know their families, you get to know their dreams. And I remember the breaking point for me was I had two back to back meetings that were about eight hours apart. And the first one was on a, say a Thursday night, sat down with a kid I got to be really good friends with, was not going to get drafted. There was not a scout that told us he was getting drafted. He could make a team as a free agent, but because of that, you're limited on what you can offer him. Like we can only give you this much for training and, and off season prep and yeah. just kind of looking at the kid and saying, you're not going to get drafted, like crushed him. And I remember leaving that meeting thinking, this is not who I want to be. Like, I don't want to be the person that crushes people's dreams. And I drove overnight to Louisiana for this second meeting. And, and I'd already kind of had some gut feelings on in the industry. And the kid I interviewed then, who ended up being a pretty high draft pick, said, hey, it's between you and these other guys. And I'm going to go with the other guys because I can't sign with you directly yet. You're not certified. Um, I trust you. I really like you, but I don't trust the guy you work for. And yeah. so when he said that, I was like, I'm out. Like at that point, like I, this is not what I want. So I started doing marketing consulting. It was fall of 2008. Couldn't get a How job. How old were you at this point? Uh, 2008, 25. Okay. 24, 25, um, couldn't get a job to save my life. Uh, I had non-traditional work experience at an MBA. Uh, I mean, even entry-level seasonal jobs I couldn't get. And so I ended up uh, freelancing marketing jobs, uh, branding consulting, teaching companies how to use content marketing or social. I do graphic design freelance and did that for a handful of years, just started picking up clients that would refer me to other clients. And then eventually started compete, but I kept the consulting practice till 2015. So that was three to four years into compete before I was at a point I could step away and actually do the business full time. And so you were doing it, you were doing the consulting business during the day and then you would do build compete at night at that point. Was that, you know, I probably should have done that. Uh, what I, the way I looked at it is I would figure out how much I needed to make a month just to survive. Like I, I wasn't even planning long-term in terms of investing and saving, which was a poor on my job in my twenties. But I said, if I can work this many hours a month, this is all I need to sell. And then I can spend every other waking minute building compete. And so that's kind of what I did is I would just go get enough clients that I could cover my overhead, cover my bills, and then would dump every other hour into building the business, trying to figure out, 
e-commerce and and branding and the beauty was anything I would want to test with a client, I would test on my company first to see how it might work or might not work before implementing it or suggesting it with a consulting client. Right. And and one of the things I've noticed with your just with your site and also in dealing with you, because we were introduced through someone uh, probably over, I mean, it might be two years now, and we've just had a little back and forth. You're very, uh, you, your follow-up is incredible and your follow-through, and you strike me as very organized. Is that something you learned while working prior to starting Compete, and then you've just taken it to, in, into the building of your company as it is now? and You know, I, I would say no. I, I would say there's a little bit of organization to me, a little bit of the perfectionism I had growing up, but a lot of it's been, I, I have ADHD. Um, and so my mind and focus runs a million miles a minute. And I've learned that I drop the ball unless I write it down or schedule follow-ups immediately. Like I have in my phone on my calendar, if if we talk and I know I need to follow up with you, I'll immediately either leave a text message unread or create a calendar alarm to say, you know, email Matt this date, you know, two weeks from now. And so that's been a lot of me just dropping the ball from trying to juggle too many things at once, especially, you know, early stages of running a business, you're kind of wearing every hat. Yeah. And so I've had to learn that more trial by fire um, than anything else, because to be honest, like growing up, like I was really good at school. Um, I, I School was never hard for me until I got to college um, and had to learn to study and train. And so areas that normally I would take a growth mindset, such as sports, like I can get better, I can play. In school, even though I was toward the head of my class, I had very much the fixed mindset, which sounds weird, of I would avoid certain classes or certain challenges um, because I didn't want to take that B, that C, that the chance of not doing an A. And so a lot of the organization came once I got into college and then afterwards of just trying to figure out, okay, I've got to be able to manage this stuff better because it doesn't come as easy to me as other stuff has. And so that, like most people, you just figure it out. It's, it's, it's ironic because that's one of the things that I thought, you know, just in, in our back and forth relationship, I thought, wow, this guy is so organized. It's, it's, I find it interesting to to hear that it's almost a compensation of what your default was, which is actually hopeful for anybody listening. If they feel that they're not organized, particularly organized, that it is something that can be learned and implemented. It sounds like you've just set up systems to safeguard against yourself in a way. Yeah, I think you have to. I think if you're trying to build any habit or break any habit, um, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, is fantastic about this because he talks about changing your environment and setting yourself up, setting up safeguards in that area. And so for me, it's the calendar. Um, I tell people like we may have something. You may tell me we have something, but unless you send me a calendar invite or it's on my calendar, I'm not going to remember. I just my brain won't. And so I, I actually have a little journal I keep every day where I write down my three most important things. And then I have a physical yellow notepad that I put the to-do list. So once I hit my top targets, I put it on the to-do list. And usually little follow-ups on there I put, 
because I'll forget them. And I tend to forget them. And my wife gets on to me all the time about, you know, forgetting little things here and there, forgetting that we had this event. Um, but yeah, I've had to build the safeguards because it's it's tough for me maintaining focus in certain areas that you just start figuring out once you drop the ball enough, you're like, I can't drop the ball anymore on this. I've got to remember this. Um, and yeah. especially when you're, you know, business side, when you're building a business and you have a team that's relying on you, uh, it, it's a little bit different than when it was just me and I'd get to an event and forget something. I'm like, eh, no big deal. But when I would forget to send it with a rep or, you know, forget to have it at a bigger one, then you're like, crap, this is affecting other people. I've got to get this under control. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how have you managed it just by, by, uh, improving those systems? Do you have something, uh, like team meetings where you discuss all of the different strategies and then everybody weighs in, or do you just have processes that people have to follow, uh, or protocols that people have to follow, um, as, as you move forward? How does that work? Yeah, so that that's been a growth experience as well, figuring out what's worked best uh, for the team side. As I offload pro, uh, projects or tasks off of my plate onto a team members, uh, I'll use Loom L O O M. It'll record your web browser. It'll actually also record you, so you can shoot two videos simultaneously, and I'll walk through the project. So if we were editing a podcast, I may walk them through exactly what needs to be done. And then pair it with a written document. And I can keep an entire folder on Google Drive because when I want to give something to Kathy, who's kind of my um, number two right now, she does all of our customer service emails, things like that. When I want to give her something of setting up blog posts or scheduling social, I can just drop them into the folder or have her refer to the folder. And then when she is ready to pass it on to another person on the team, She's already got all the the information there and she can add notes. So that's kind of been a learning piece of developing that process. The other side on me has been a combination of, of reading, just diving into uh, books and planners. I think I bought 20 different companies versions of planners and, and trackers just to test. And I would test all of them for a few weeks to see which I liked, which I didn't, uh, modifications that I would make. Um, and then reading different books and talking with people as, as you all know, relationships and who we get to talk to from a mentor or from a mastermind relationship are huge because you, you see other people that may even have more on their plate. Like I don't even have kids right now. Uh, I just have dogs and a wife. And so yeah. my buddies that are parents that are churning out content, running things, it's asking them questions or being in masterminds with them of like, how are you doing this? How do you manage that? And so that's been a big piece of of just learning what's working for everyone else, testing it. And if it works for me, awesome. Let's implement it. Let's make it more habitual. And if it's not, let's try something new. How can we modify it? Why is it not working? And so it's just a lot of not being able to or not being afraid to test things and see what works and what doesn't because you don't really know what's going to fit your system, business and personality until you give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you liken this to what you said about the uh, when you were agenting? And you said you felt like you got closer to sports and you saw how the sausage was made and you were disillusioned and felt like, oh, I don't want to see inside it. Do you feel that way with uh, being an entrepreneur are, or are these types of challenges something that you enjoy overcoming or do does it 
I, I know, you know, speaking for myself, it can be times where I enjoy the minutia. Most of the time it feels like minutia and, and it's figuring out a way to overcome it in some way. Um, how do you, how, how have you, how has your relationship to what you do grown or uh, is it easy to get cynical or how do you keep yourself from getting cynical? Yeah, you know, the I think the difference on the sports side for me, the sports, sports was something I always loved. Like football was, I laughed that it was the, when my football days ended, it was the worst breakup I still had to this date. Uh, because it was that first true love and passion and you have those memories and experience. And so you grow up idolizing this NFL in college. And once that's kind of revealed of what it's really like behind the scenes, it you can lose a little bit of that. You become, like you said, very disillusioned. And for me, sports is still a really good escape. It's like a great book or a great movie. Like I just love Saturdays and Sundays in the fall. And so me stepping away from that actually helped me to maintain my love for the game. And I knew I needed it um, if I wanted to continue to love the game because I could get to know guys and cheer for guys and support my clients, but I may not love the game. And so... This route, entrepreneurship, I, you know, I love the challenge of it. You know, some of it, I laugh, it's, it's, you're stuck in the minutia. Like doing trade shows, I did trade shows and events, uh, two to 300 of them, I'm sure I've done over the years. And I hate the loading up and packing and going and setting up, but being there and interacting with people and getting to connect with people I love. And then coming back and saying, okay, we had a tough year last year. How are we going to rise to this challenge? Like, how can we continue to grow? And I think that's honestly the entrepreneurship journey has been the biggest benefit to me of helping grow my growth mindset because it's no longer like, how can I just quit this? This is too hard. It's like, oh, this is a puzzle or challenge. How can we do it well? And then how can we do it differently? How can I create a brand and a business that's different than everyone else is doing? And so that's really been, uh, for me, the fun in it is every day is, is a little bit different. You get different interactions with people, uh, some good, some not so good. Uh, but the challenges it presents of constantly growing and figuring out ways you can add more value to your team, to your community, and hopefully to new customers and new community um, is always what makes it a little bit fun. Because I, I talked about this actually last night with my wife. You know, you see a lot of people that retire and there's two camps. You have the group that loves to travel and do things and they're excited about this whole new chapter of life. They have things to look forward to. And then you have some that once they retire, like they don't ever find another purpose or another thing to do. And the life after retirement isn't very long, I feel like, for a lot of those people. Like, you you know, you see a lot of these football coaches and basketball coaches that coach for their almost their entire life. And then they retire and they pass away within the next year or two. And I feel like having that challenge, having a purpose, having something that's constantly pushing you to grow and rise to it helps keep us alive and keeps us thriving versus being almost sedent, you know, stationary and letting life and opportunities pass us by. I agree. I agree. And you're, you're talking about uh, just in interacting with new people and trying to help people and coach people service. And I want you to share with with the audience um, speaking about servant leadership and specifically a story that I heard you tell 
I don't know if I heard it or I read it, um, about your dad with clean bathrooms at the gas station. I love that story. I, I love that philosophy. You just explain that to everybody. Yeah. So the, the funny thing about gas stations is most people, when they think about gas stations, you think about the nastiest bathrooms you ever have. Like nobody, you, you have to stop, you get gas, you get a soda, a snack, but rarely do you want to go in the gas station bathroom, even if it's like a dire emergency. And there's my dad's always been adamant with his stores about having the cleanest bathrooms because he's just he knows that if you have clean bathrooms, people will stop in the store. They'll always be there. It doesn't matter if they're a local or passing through. If you have clean bathrooms, they're going to keep coming back. And I used to have to clean them. Uh, my dad would even step in and clean them. And, and that always shocked me of like, you have these employees, you're paying. And he was like, this is one of the most important things we have because this is essentially one of the most important things to our customers. And he said, I'm never going to be above doing the, the dirty work. He said, because I want my team to see that, hey, listen, he may be the boss, but he's willing to get into the muck with us. He's willing to do the work with us versus just standing outside and telling us what we need to be doing. Yeah. And so that's always really stuck with me. Um, you know, it's been something that stood out, but it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't until the last few years that I really had to put a lot of that into practice myself because I've been about our team and our business and growing our business and brand and, and sharing that message and encouraging the people of competing. But if I was honest with a lot of people, it was like, how can I continue to grow my platform? And it was honestly a focus on my platform versus looking at it from a servant leadership mindset, the, the mindset my dad had of the better I can do my job, the more people I can help versus the better I can do my job, the bigger my platform becomes. And and so that's something getting into it the last few years that I think has also really helped our, our message and our brand of how can we just serve people today? Um, Zig Ziglar is famous for saying that, you know, uh, if you want to succeed, help others succeed. Like if you want to find a way to win, you know, make sure that you're helping other people win. And, and that is something that I kind of stick to as a core principle for us is our whole goal with Compete and my work is I just want to see you win. I want to make sure my bathrooms are clean, my products are clean, everything's ready. But ultimately, how can we help you win? Because that's what the best companies do. It, it's it's not about us. It's not about shining a spotlight on ourselves or our bank account. It's about how can we help others shine a spotlight on them. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, especially in light of what you said about when you were an agent and the most heartbreaking thing was to tell these kids they weren't going to go pro. It sounds like this entire company is set up to not kill people's dreams, but to tell them, hey, these are steps that you can take that will increase your chances of success. And on that point, before I let you go, I want you to run us through the five traits of a competitor, which is something you've come up with. Uh, I believe it's trademarked. Um, walk us through those. Um, grit. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't have to tell them to you. You know them. So. <laughs> I was no, going to yeah. list them. So I'll let it, you do it. Yeah, if we were to look at a winning competitor and, and someone that I consider successful in life, they have grit, they have a growth mindset, they practice gratitude, they pursue greatness in everything that they do, and then they groom others. And 
the reason it's kind of come down to those five is there's ways to succeed with any one of them. Like there, there are people out there that on the outside look uber successful with any one of them. There's actually some of the greatest athletes we've ever seen have succeeded with four of the five and they may lack gratitude. But the reason I feel like you need all five is because they each play a pivotal role. You know, grit and growth mindset allow you to endure the no's, the 10,000 no's. They allow you to endure all the rejections to keep growing and getting better. Gratitude is what allows you to enjoy the process because without gratitude, we see it in sports, we see it in Hollywood all the time. You get to the peak, you get to the pinnacle of your career and, and without gratitude, you either ask, is that it? Like, is, is that everything I worked for? Did I waste my entire life for that? Or you've gotten to a point where you're all alone because you've used everyone along the way as pawns to help you achieve this goal versus people to be alongside you. And so gratitude is such a huge piece to enjoying the process, the journey that is life. Greatness, I mean, that's the separator. Like, what do you, are you consistently showing up? Do you have that attention to detail? Are you giving your best in every situation, whether it's a role you want to play or it's a role you don't like, are you doing and showing up your best? And then finally the grooming others and, and you doing a fantastic job of this, of pouring into others because true leadership is not about the number of followers you have, but the leaders you create. And so what are you doing to pay it forward as a mentor, as a leader to, to share a blueprint with others. And so those five are kind of what we talk about in, in my keynotes and work of just little ways, little steps every day you can help build in each of these areas, because I feel that's what makes a successful life more than just dollars in your bank account, followers on your social media, but actually creating the type of legacies that if we're honest, we care about, because these are the things we want people to talk about at our funerals and after we're gone. Wow. I, I, I love all of what you just said. I, I saw it as a list and to hear you run through it so organically, that's really well put. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I lied because I have one more thing I want to ask you about. Let's do it. <laughs> which is um, you talk about, I, I think this would be great for my listeners. You, you say something about make progress without motivation. And that the choices we make have a domino effect to create a winning streak. And you're tricking the brain into taking action steps forward every day, whether you feel motivated or not. So I'd love for you to speak on that because I get a lot of emails. I'm sure you do too because of your podcast, but where people feel um, that they're just too tired or overwhelmed to do the things that need to be done. What is your advice in, in, in those situations? Because we all do have down days. Not every day is going to be a hundred percent. It's just, you know, we're human and things come up and there are letdowns. People get sick. How do you coach people through that kind of uh, lethargic state or, or a down depressed state? Yeah, so there's a few pieces to that in, in the hard days and the difficult days. Um, one of the messages that we'll be kind of pushing and promoting this summer is this idea of never let a hard day win. And whatever it takes to do one small thing that day that helps advance you a step is keeping victory in your hands. And if you have the day that 
man, things just don't go it. You get no's all day. It is just painful till the end. What are you going to do the next morning so that one bad day doesn't start a losing streak? And so for us, the way I see most people get demotivated and drop off is they've set a goal that's a long ways away. And most of them set the goal believing the attainment of that goal is much easier and much quicker than they ever anticipated. And once they start down that journey, as we all know, and they start collecting those no's on the way to those 10,000, they start to think, man, this is harder than I thought. This is farther. I don't know if I can get there because they're just focused on the finish line. They're just focused on the end. And, and I talk about this in one of my keynotes about the first time I went to Vegas to run a race, I ran uh, the rock and roll half and like I'm running and running and I'm feeling good and my side starts to hurt and my feet are starting to ache a little bit. And in my head, I'm like, man, I'm six miles in, I'm seven miles in, I'm fine. Like I can finish the rest of this half marathon. And I get to a water station and the mile marker just ahead of me says mile marker two. And my brain loses it at that point. It's like, you can't do this. Like, how do we get out? of? How do you jump into a casino? How do you get off the course? Like you cannot <laughs> run 11 more miles. And so in that moment, I started playing tag, which is the childhood game we all love. Like you just find the closest or slowest person, you tag them, they're it, then you run from them. It's the same thing. I would pick out this little old man that was just a little bit ahead of me and I would catch up to him. And then I would find someone else and I would start chasing them. And I did it the rest of the race. I stopped thinking about the 11 miles. I didn't honestly even look at mile marker signs the rest of the race. I just picked out people in the crowd and started chasing them. And the way that the reason that works so well is our brains can't distract us and tell us where we suck or what we need to quit or how hard this is when it's like, oh, it's a game. I can play this game because you give them a short, easy target right in front of you, something you can catch, something you can do today, something easy. And then when you achieve it, your brain rewards you with that hit of dopamine. It's like, oh, motivation, you achieve something, let's do it again. And so you chase the next thing and you chase the next thing. And, and that is really the best way of, of going it because even if you have the worst day, you're having a terrible day. Um, you know, I had one a few, a couple of months ago. It was just everything was not going my way. We had issues at my warehouse, had issues with customer service. We were just having all sorts of problems. I think our e-commerce store was down for the day. And I just felt like it was the worst day. Uh, dog went to the bathroom in the house. Like, you name it. It's one of those where everything's stockpiling. But at the yeah. end of the day, I still sat down and wrote 500 words. Like, I'd set a goal. I'm writing 500 words a day until I get this book done. And the day was complete crap, but I got the 500 words. I think they sucked. I think I think I went through <laughs> with a red pen and edited most of the page, but I got it out. And so when I went to bed that night, I said, I got to step in. Like I got one step in no matter how much was pushing against me, no matter how much wind was blowing in my face, I got one step. And so that's the biggest key for us is, is not to get frustrated or motivated, excuse me, demotivated by how far we have to go, how much we have to do. It's just one step. Because those little steps start to add up over time. It's when we decide it's too far, it's too hard, that we quit, we step away, we let one day turn into two, turn into a week, turn into a month. It's it's just making sure that no matter how bad the day, no matter what it is, you just take a step. And a lot of us have to actually take a step back 
and look at the big picture of where we're trying to go, who we're trying to become, what we're trying to achieve, and start breaking those goals down into just tiny little steps you can take every day, knowing that I can't get there this week, but I can take seven steps and just doing that. So that's the way I like to remind people is just to play tag uh, every day. Who's the next little old man, little old lady, high school kid that you can catch in the race and just focus on catching them. Let the rest of the race take care of itself tomorrow or the next day. That's great. So simple and so perfect. It really works. There's a, I, wanna, I was going to say on that note, I don't know if you've seen it. Jerry Seinfeld talks about this and I don't know. I don't think it's in his comedians in cars, but it's in one of Seinfeld's interviews that when he started his career, he would train himself to write a joke every day. And on his calendar, he'd put a big red X every time he wrote a joke, new day, new joke, new X. And he would start to fill up that calendar. So he had that winning streak going. He, he, he saw the X's, but that was it. It wasn't trying to be a world famous comedian. I'm trying to just kill him on the stage. It's I need to write a joke today. I need to have more jokes in my, in my little quiver over my shoulder. And so he would focus on doing that and writing that in there so that after a few days, your brain is not thinking about the jokes or the long term. It's just thinking about one joke today. Keep the streak going. And and there's actually an iPhone app for any of your listeners. It's called Don't Break the Chain. It's for building habits or breaking habits. But it's just about today. It'll send you a, an alarm reminder. Uh, and then you click the button if you've done it or if you didn't do it. Uh, and it'll put a little red X on your calendar. But it takes your brain out of needing to feel motivation just says do the one action today you'll feel motivated to do more tomorrow that's very cool i have heard the seinfeld but i i forgot about it so i'm glad to be reminded uh the word no actually means what not yet i had a feeling you would say that or a stepping <laughs> stone what is your go-to mantra when everything falls apart keep competing and if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene and what would the advice be? Ooh, I would say 16, 15, 16. I would say uh, my advice would be don't be as distracted by the opposite sex and don't be as afraid of challenges that are ahead of you. Use them as opportunities to grow. I love it. I love it. I don't know if if you went back and told that 15 or 16 year old, though, not to be distracted by the opposite <laughs> sex, if he would listen to you. But I do. I like your sentiment, but I, I don't think it would work. I, you know, <laughs> I don't like, think so either. Like, All right, I, uh... Dad, get out of here. <laughs> All right, old man, get out. Um, Jake Thompson, thank you so much. I will put links in the show notes for anybody listening who would like for themselves as an individual or, or as a company, uh, to get the guidance from Jake. You've just heard him really well-spoken. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate all the messages you gave us. And not only that, the way in which you do it for a guy who is such a competitor, you have real compassion for the other side of, uh, you know, when people are, are not feeling the fire. I feel like that to me is your gift is that you have that competitive side, but you also have that compassion. And I uh, really appreciate having you on the show. Really glad we did this. Thanks for having me, buddy. Okay. Top three takeaways from Jake. Here we go. Number one, 
figuring out a common theme to all of your work and putting all of your pursuits under one umbrella. This is how Jake tied together the apparel business with the speaking and coaching to make it exponentially more impactful. He mentioned past guest John Gordon, who did the same thing with his best-selling books, his coaching, and his speaking and team leadership. And it also reminds me of Jessica Blank, who told us in early 2019 that while she can be seen as an actress, playwright, documentarian, coach, teacher, etc., everything she does comes under the banner of story expert. So find your center and go from there before you get too spread out. Make your multiple talents more impactful. Don't dissipate them by spreading them out and not relating them to each other. Number two, this reminds me of another past guest, Lynn Marie Morsky, who did Quitting by Design. This is having the courage to change lanes when you realize that you're disillusioned by your view from afar, the way you thought something was going to be. When Jake saw how the sausage was made in sports, he decided to give up his dream of being the real-life Jerry Maguire to preserve his love of sports. But he didn't do a complete 180. Sports and competition still plays a central role in his company, but now it's on his own terms. He went from potential dream killer as an agent to a dream enhancer as a coach and speaker. And number three, setting up rules and systems to combat his ADHD. Honestly, I was floored when Jake told me he isn't naturally organized, but it makes sense. Past guest Jay Faruja told us about the systems and rules he implemented to go from introvert to super connector. And recent guest Julie Benz described how she was able to reframe a big hit in her career by consciously practicing gratitude exercises. Whatever it is that you want to be known for, if you start there and then reverse engineer it, you can accomplish and become that person with bite-sized actions that eventually transform you. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you, Jake Thompson, for that heartfelt positivity. Thank you for listening. As I said, go check out the show notes if you want links to get you closer to Jake and his coaching or speaking. And if you feel like you've benefited from this or any other episode, please share it with more people so they can be impacted too. If you leave an iTunes review, it will help the show's visibility and ranking. So we really encourage that if it's not too much trouble. And if you subscribe wherever you listen, you won't miss any episodes when they come out every Friday. If you like today's conversation with Jake, go check out these past episodes. Their links will be in the show notes. Best-selling author and speaker, leadership consultant, John Gordon, author and coach Craig Ballantyne, or top strength trainer and transformation specialist Jay Perugia. Or go scroll through 10,000knows.com to see which episodes might be up your alley. Join us again next Friday for more 10,000 Knows. For announcements and promo videos of who's next, you can follow me on social media. Those handles are at Matty Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us at info at 10,000knows.com if you want to be added to our mailing list or with questions, feedback, or guest suggestions. And don't forget to keep tuning in to City on a Hill on Showtime, Sundays at 9, starring Kevin Bacon. You will see my mug in there, reverting to my BC roots in early 90s Boston. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. 